Thank you for tuning in to Conroe United Pentecostal Church today. We pray that this podcast is a blessing to you. If there is ever anything we can do for you, please email admin at conroeubc.org. The year was 1967. The city... Not, far, not very far south from us was Houston, Texas. In the curve of the road where Woodridge and Lawndale merged into each other was a set of apartments known as Patricia Manor Apartments. This was a place where scores of young Families that had come to Houston to attend Texas Bible College where, where they lived. And it was just inexpensive. It was uh, close. And it was not very nice. The scores of young families had come from across America. And there they settled and they would attend TBC just a few blocks away. While, while thousands of young American men around our country fled across borders to both Mexico and to Canada, there were, there were scores, hundreds of young Pentecostal men who fled to Houston. For there, they discovered two things. They discovered... Uh, one of the crown jewels of what I consider to be one of the crown jewels of Pentecost, and that was Texas Bible College. But they also discovered a way to avoid the draft. So whether it was God that called them or Uncle Sam who scared them, many of them arrived, and you can back off the monitor a bit, many of them arrived at Houston, and many of them lived in the curve where those two roads met. For me, my parents also moved to that address. And for me, two things that particular year would happen of note. Uh, later in that year, I would meet my wife-to-be. She was five and I was approaching seven. And a relationship with our families was forged at that point. And from that time forward, uh, I have just been, as a modern pop culture piece of, you know, sub-literature, I have spent the next number of years just driving Miss Tracy. But greater to me of the two events that happened... In that particular year, I, I did not realize that there would be two life-changing events at that early age that would be so transformational. I guess when you meet your wife, that's always a big day. Now, I didn't look at the circumstances as being such a big day because, um, well, never mind. But my mother also would pay a tremendous part in the other event that was happening in my life. My mother one day would need to pay a visit down to the first grade classroom at South May Elementary School. 
down on Lawndale Street. And there, when she and that wicked first grade teacher conferred, my mother discovered that her oldest her oldest child just wasn't getting this reading thing. He just couldn't read very well. And uh, I, I was just having a good time at that point in my life, you know, just doing whatever good, you know, six, seven-year-old boy does. He just, uh, the last thing that he needs to be interested in is, is reading those books in that school. But my mother, my mother decided that she would take things in hand. My, my mother's first name is Joy. And we have teased her a lifetime as to being Joy. And my dad would always sing the old song of old when, when things were getting tough or mama was out of town or something. He would sing that song, Joy, Joy, Joy is coming in the morning. And he'd quote that scripture, weeping may endure for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. And we laughed at that lightly, but in all reality, that was a fearsome thing. Because if mom was out of pocket, we knew mom was coming home. And mom was, I just want to say this. The J in joy stood for Gibraltar. The rock of Gibraltar. The big rock that the seas can pound on and there's no change. And the winds can blow at and there's no change. And the storm can try to uproot and there's no change. And a nuclear bomb could land on and it would just bounce off because it would be afraid that joy was coming in the morning. So the next Saturday morning after, after my mother's visit to the first grade class down at South Made Elementary School, I, I woke up to a very different day. Because when I woke up that day, it was Saturday, and certain things are supposed to happen for six-year-olds on Saturday. And one of them is not, instead of a breakfast bowl of cereal at your place at the table, one of them is not a Bible opened up with a piece of paper and a pencil. And that day when I, I came into the little area where the table was, there was the Bible. And my mother greeted me with, hey, hey, baby, how you feeling this morning? There was none of that soft and tenderness. But the Gibraltar that comes from the J and Joy had emerged that day. Today, she said, you will read. And um, I didn't know what, what that would come to mean over the course of the next several hours. All I can remember is, well, it was a very long day. It was a long day. It was such a long day that I still remember that particular day from that point in 1967. But I'm telling you, at the end of the day, by the time that she allowed me go go to bed, and I don't know if it was that Saturday or the next Saturday, but it was a long day. I mean, because we didn't quit until I, I read and at the end of the day, I could read. And I looked down at that Bible as a little guy, and I remember what a fearsome and intimidating moment that was. How, if I can't read, uh, watch, spot, run. How can I read, 
Holy Bible King James Version with these thou's and begettings and beheadings and all the other bees that were involved in that. But how does a six-year-old really comprehend or understand anything that, that was in that, that King James Bible? But, but that day, but that day there, there came something illuminated inside of me. That at six years of age, I don't know if it was scared into me by my mother. Or I don't know if it was just an illumination that came because of an impartation that comes when you immerse yourself in the word of God. But that day was an incredible day for I learned these words, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. The same was, and this is what I learned to read. This is what she baptized me in that day. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And that light was the light of men. And the light shined in darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That same came for a witness. To bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. John was not that light. But was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world. The world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which We're born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And you may not believe this story that I'm telling you, But my mother did not let up. And that day I read. And my ability to read that day was, I believe, it was transformational in my reading life because there's been thousands of books since then. But all I can really tell you about that day was that by the end of the day, I was able to read. And in my elementary understanding of the moment... Driven into the very core of my spirit, either by the fear of my mother or the illumination of the word. I knew two or three things that were driven so deep into my little elementary life that that I can never release them. I learned that day that in the beginning was the word. I learned that from the very beginning of time, there was the word of God. 
And I learned that day that this was God. In the beginning was the Word. And in my elementary mind, I learned that this was God. And so uh, I learned that if I needed God, I, I just get a hold of this. And ever I, I got a hold of this, uh, I, would, I would have my hands wrapped around this God. That six something drove in my spirit. And it was something that I, I learned later on a few verses down that I repeat to you nearly every single week. And that is light shined in darkness uh, that I could understand and and in my little little mind I understand that, that that there was the word and the word was God and 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 that that light of, of all of that it shined in darkness and I learned also in that 14th verse and I've remembered this and it drives deep into sight of me that the word was made flesh so somewhere between John chapter 1, when I learned that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, uh, in my elementary understanding, somehow it got driven deep inside of my spirit that that Word that was God, that Word was made flesh, and it dwelt among us somehow. In my mind, I looked, my, my mind had learned that this in the beginning was the Word. And, and the Word was God. So this was God. And somehow the Word was made flesh. So it became in my little mind that, that Jesus was the Bible. Jesus was the Word. And from that time until this, 49 years later, there is still driven deep into the core of my spirit. That if I, if I need God, if I need God, all I need is the Word. And if I, if I need the presence of God, uh, all I need is the Word. Because that Word that was God from the beginning, it was made flesh uh, and it dwelt among us. And my six year, my six year cognitive abilities, I understood that if I needed anything, all I needed was the God that was the Word that was made flesh, whose name was Jesus. And if I could ever get a hold of that, and whatever the circumstance of life was, I understood that everything was on, was going to be okay. It was, it was early on that, that something pounded in my spirit and not even realizing what was going on inside of me that, that I only wanted a glimpse of Jesus. As a teenager and, and as, even as a young adult, I didn't have hobbies. I didn't run and do a lot of stuff. All I wanted to do was work and part of that work was pointed towards, toward the kingdom. And, and I remember on February the 13th, 19, and 68 when i was uh, when i was 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 not quite 8 years old at this point uh, and i remember at this point that on a sunday night after having been in revival where the A.D. Spears preaching at Apostolic Temple week after week. On this particular night, it wasn't even altar time, but I, I hopped my little almost eight-year-old self up and, 
And I went to the altar and I stayed there and I stayed there for a whole sermon. Now, now today's sermon's maybe 20 or 30 minutes long, but remember this is 1968 and, and there was no such thing as a 30 minute sermon. There was a 30 minute warm up. There was an hour sermon and a 15 or 20 minute landing. And so I, I, I just, uh, I had long, I had long passed. I had gone up there and, and I had prayed and I sought the Lord. And that night I, I received the Holy Ghost all by myself up there. But I'm honest with you. I prayed beyond. I mean, the sermon outlasted my prayers and the sermon was, was, was still going after I'd gotten the Holy Ghost. And, and I, I was young and eight years old, almost eight and scared. So the rest of that sermon, I stayed huddled around. I stayed huddled around acting like I was so spiritual because it's very easy at eight to move between the flesh and the spirit. And, and it's very easy at 18 to move between. At 48, it was still easy to move between the flesh and the spirit. Can somebody say amen? And so in 1968, I received the Holy Ghost. And I knew that day that, that, that there was something more to this than simply knowing and recognizing that there was this word that, that was the Bible and the Bible was God and and the, and this was all made flesh and dwelt among us but then at that point I learned that he could live inside of me it was not even hardly a year later about the time that I would turn nine years of age that I knew that I would never do anything but seek the kingdom of God. It was later, it was later in that year that dad would take his first church and move us down to the God forsaken terrain of Highland, Texas. And it was there just a week or two having lived there looking out the window where that road went around that church and I looked out the window before church time. I, I knew and understood what it was to have the hand of that living God or that living word rest itself on my life. And at nine, I felt that first call, that first glimpse of the call of God. And it was at that point, I recognized that the living word had its hand in my life. Dad was, you know, dad, dad was one of those kind of pastors that if there was anybody in the church at all that could preach or sing, they were going to preach or sing. And so, at 11 years old, he started having me lead the services. Uh, we wouldn't think of that kind of thing nowadays, but, uh, you know, when, where we were and the places that we were at, uh, at 11, I was the song leader. At 11, I would take prayer requests, and sometimes I, w- I would take the offering. And, and at 11 years old, these things begin to happen. Uh, it, it was at 15 that he, he had me start preaching, and, and it, it, was, it, was just, it was just a natural thing, and, and what was was happening at 16 in those days for the general conference it was a thing that all preachers would do it would be a two-week trip nobody flew to those conferences you you drive and we didn't have big interstates we had interstates but they were they were just two-lane interstates in that time it would take days to get across the country and they would take days going they'd take days at a conference and days coming back and then usually it was about two weekends that they would be gone in those days and it was at this point that that dad started putting me in charge of the church for two weeks. He'd leave. I'd have two or three Wednesday nights, two or three Sunday mornings, two or three Sunday nights, and and, and untold like Sunday school lessons. Stuff. I don't know what was in his mind asking somebody that was no more mature than I was at that point, but it would be three, four times a week while he was gone because you knew he wasn't going to pay a preacher to come preach while he's gone. He had a free one, and, and so it was my job to lead the service and do the preaching and the teaching and the altar call 
called and cleaned the church while they were gone. That's just where we were in life at that point. And and this was something, though, about this pursuit of trying to grasp uh, that living word. And my mom and daddy, if we had a vacation, I'm going somewhere, so just stick with me. If we had a vacation during the spring break, it wouldn't be to go down to the beach or go down to Disney World. The, The vacations that we might have at spring break would be loading us all up into whatever beat-up car dad had traded for at the moment. And we would spend any sort of a spring break. It would be down in Lufkin at the district conference. And, and if we had any sort of a, any sort of vacation in the summer, it wouldn't be a week-long trip to the lake. It, would, it wouldn't be that kind of thing, no. If, if, uh, if, if we had any kind of a vacation, and, and it was every year this happened, uh, any sort of vacation time would be spent uh, down at Lufkin, at the campground, going to the camp meeting. And it wouldn't be a matter of you pick and serve which services, or, or it wouldn't be a matter of staying in the nicer hotels. But, but in all reality, Dad would have us there, you know, at the first service uh, when Brother Gidrose used to preach like at 6 o'clock in the morning, and, and there was no relief until the end, uh, uh, 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night. And, and we spent all, all of those years in that in Texas. Uh, for 50-something years, uh, the fourth week of June was camp meeting week. And I, lear- I come to learn that quite early in my week, uh, in my life, because I was born in the fourth week of June. And on Wednesday of camp meeting that in 1961, my mother could not make camp meeting. And that was the first and only camp meeting my sweet mother uh, ever missed going to camp meeting, but she she had to pause and not go and give birth to me, but she didn't let us miss another camp meeting. And, and here I am, 54 years old, about to attend uh, my 54th camp meeting here in, in a few months. But you see, it was all about and, uh, pursuing the things of God and all about uh, getting a glimpse and grasping who and what that living that living word was. And, and they, they didn't let me get sidetracked with other stuff, but it was all about the word and, and, and whatever you're going to do, it's about the church and it's about being faithful to God and, and it's about all those things. And, and as a result of, uh, of of the warped upbringing that my parents brought me through. Uh, they, they drove so deep in me a love for righteousness uh, and a love for truth uh, and a love for the oneness of God and a love for our doctrine uh, and a love for these things that, that, that I have been stalwart in, in those things. And, and I had literally, literally when I learned at six uh, that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us uh, and we beheld his glory and then you look at the last word of that verse I learned this word with a biblical context at six years old that long long Saturday because that 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 that, uh, that last word in that verse uh, that that had that was coming alive to me at that young age it was that word truth uh, and something pounded inside of my spirit uh, and it was nailed uh, it was nailed inside of my heart uh, by a mama I was scared of by a dad who was too dumb to quit chasing Jesus and by a passion that they placed in us to seek after the kingdom and seek the things of God. That's all that I wanted to do. And that was seek the kingdom of God. Get a glimpse of that living word. And when you get a glimpse of that living word, remember that you will, you can behold his glory and it will be full of grace and it will be full of truth. And I learned if I can get a hold 
behold, if I can get a glimpse of that living word, I will always be able to find his grace and I will always be able to grasp his truth. And you cannot love John chapter 1 without reading and loving other passages of scripture that have come alive to me in the ensuing years. Verses like Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Verses like Isaiah 9 and 6 that say, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. The government would rest upon his shoulder, and his name would be called the Wonderful, the Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. You can't love those type of verses without finding yourself in Matthew chapter 1 when the angel would visit with Joseph and Mary and say these words in the 21st verse, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And when you look at verse 21, there is no way... There's absolutely no way you can entertain verse 21 that you don't go down two more verses to verse number 23 and they they realize that it says they shall, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God is with us. I learned at six there was a living word and I learned just a little while later that his name would be Jesus. I learned that, that, that there would be one Lord and I learned that his name would be Emmanuel and that he would be with us there's something about this living word that you realize you can see it you can grasp it you can understand it you can possess it and it will be with you every every step of the way it would be but just a short time in life as early age I would begin to discover some of these verses that would be driven down deep, deep into my spirit. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless, but I will come to you just a little while and the world seeth me no more, but you see me because I live, but you shall live also. And that day you will know that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you. I understand that when you really grasp it, that when you see Jesus, you see the Father. But also, he says, I am in my Father, but I'm also, I am going to be inside of you. And when you realize that living word is not just something that you see from afar off, but it's that word that was made flesh from the beginning in the plan of God that moves and dwells inside of us, that breaks, that wakes up something in my spirit and says I want that living word in my life. I need that living word in my heart. I need that new revelation of that living word to be manifest. I want that living word for my children. I need that living word for my grandchildren. I need that living word for my church. I need that living word for my family. Hallelujah. If you want that living word, cry out to him right now. Amen. (laughs) 
I would come to experience what happened in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4 when it says uh, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost uh, and began to speak uh, with other tongues uh, as the Spirit gives the utterance. Uh, I would learn to appreciate and love uh, and it would be burned down, branded into my soul what I would discover in the 38th verse of that same chapter when Peter said, you've got to repent. You've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus. You've got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You've got to speak with tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. There's something about that living word when you realize he'll move inside of you and he'll transform you that you must have that experience on the inside. It is with such, it is with such clarity that I could understand now after these experiences, John chapter 3 and verse 5 when Jesus would say, verily, verily I say unto you, except a man be born of the water and be born of the spirit he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And I come to this absolute certainty that that living word is an indwelling presence in our lives and it brings excitement into my spirit and then how do you embrace such without jumping around a bit more and maybe landed over in the book of first timothy when paul would write to that young preacher who wanted opportunity just to find that living word himself and paul said it this way in verse 16 chapter 3 and without controversy great is the mystery of godliness for god that living word was manifest in the flesh that living word was justified in the spirit that living word was seen of angels that living word was preached unto gentiles and that living word was believed on into the world in the world and that living word was received up into glory and that makes my lesson from 1967 there at that little apartment that day when i learned to read and when i realized the word was made flesh and it dwelt among us i can understand how he robed himself in flesh and he moved to my town he moved into my life and he is now he is now available and he is that living word in our lives it is no wonder to me then when Zacchaeus down there in Jericho gets a word that Jesus is coming and he hears something about living word is coming to my town it's no wonder he goes and finds himself a tree he climbs up the tree he goes out on the limb because he just wanted a glimpse of that living word I can understand how Jairus that same day couldn't see a thing in his eyes but what he couldn't see what he could see in his spirit was I hear that Jesus is coming I hear he's moving this crowd I hear he's coming towards my town and something though he could not see he wanted a glimpse of that living word and before that was over with he'd gotten his name called by the master the master had touched his life and the first the first thing he saw when his eyes opened up when the darkness left he was face to face with Jesus he was face to face with that living word he was face to face with that word that was made flesh he was face to face with that redeeming power of that living word I can't understand how another blind man that day was led out of the city and when his eyes were touched he would look and he would see things that were distorted I have been in that blind man's place more than one time when I receive a touch I receive a bed and I have a bit of experience with God 
and I'm sitting there and I'm looking. I found myself more than one time right where that blind man was because the scripture says he saw men as trees. His view was distorted. He couldn't see clearly. He saw men as distorted. He saw men being bigger than they were and there he was. He gets that touch. He sees things. His vision is distorted. He sees men as being bigger than what they are. He sees men as being more than what they are. But in all reality, he asked for that second touch from the master that day. And when he opened his eyes that second time and the living word had perfected his work in his life, that blind man that day, he opened his eyes and he didn't see trees and he didn't see men. But this time he was face to face with that living word. Is it any wonder there's excitement in the community when the word is out, the living word? is in town. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Is it any wonder then that you would realize that when the Lord would would travel towards Gadara and his boat would hit the sand, that that man who lived in the dead places of the tombs, that man who dwelled within the tombs of Gadara, is it any wonder when, when, when he would get word, when the spirit realm would get word, I don't find where there was an email that went out. I don't find a Facebook blast that noticed that man down in the tombs that Jesus was there but there's something that was happening in the spirit realm you and I might not necessarily see it but Jesus' boat uh, the word that was made flesh uh, that living word his boat uh, docked down there at the beach uh, but there was something happened in the realm that you could not see and there was something in that living word that was going before there was a drawing and that man came out of the tombs and when he got that first glimpse uh, of living word uh, that man that was filled with the devil, that man that was filled with darkness, that man who lived in death, he got a glimpse of living word and he bolted down that mountain. He bolted across that pasture. He fell down at the feet of the master and he began to worship and there was but just a moment where demons were gone and darkness was gone. He had his sanity back and there was a work of the God in his life and you realize that the living word has done its work again. You see, I begin to look at what happens when I just get a glimpse of that living word. It, it happened down at Simon's place. It was Simon, one of the leaders of the community. He invited a host of other community leaders over. And then he invited the teacher, Jesus, the itinerant teacher to come. It was into this setting that a little woman makes her way into this house. And while the men are gathered around socializing and and doing whatever they're involved with, uh, there's a little woman who slips into the room. And when she slips into the room, she quietly makes her way to the feet of that living word. What the men saw when she slipped into the room was they, they identified her with, 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 with what was in her world and in her past. They, they, they identified her with the circumstances that they knew in, in her life. And the men that were there, they saw, they saw the reputation and they saw the secrets. But what she saw 
what she saw when she slipped in the room and made her way to the feet of the master. And while they saw secrets and they saw shame, this little lady, she saw, if I can get to the feet of the master, I will be then sitting at the feet of that living word. And while, and while Simon failed to wash the feet of the, of the master or the teacher when he arrived, not, not making him welcome, saying, hey, you are in my house, but you're not necessarily welcome in my house. And I don't offer you, extend you the hospitality of washing your feet and making you feel relaxed and welcome. You're not staying long. You can come in, but you're not staying long. This little lady, when she crept into that room and she made her way around that place where she could kneel down at the feet of the living word while Simon and the other men wanted him on a short-term basis and didn't want him to stay very long, she began to wash her feet, not with waters from the water pot, but from water from down deep in her soul. And something dam in her soul broke up and tears began to flow. And while men of of that day didn't welcome the living word into their place to stay on a permanent basis, when the dam of her heart broke and those tears flowed out, there was something that happened when she said, they won't let you stay but a while in the house. That's okay because I'm going to let you in my heart and I'm going to let you in my life and I'm going to let my tears wash your feet and I'm going to sit there with that living with that living word it is it is this moment we realize that man failed to touch him the men failed to touch him but it was at that moment that, that broken reservoir that hunger and that desire that whatever it takes I need a touch of that living word in my life I know my life's a mess but if I can get the living word in there I know there's things there but if I can get in the presence of that living word if I can pour myself out at the feet of that living word if he will but notice what's going on in my life I know that living word will work I know that living word will transform it is it is understanding what really is in that package of the living word that that is unbelievably intriguing because the day that the living word chose to take a nap in the bottom of a boat and a storm came his disciples his disciples fought that storm with everything they knew to do the disciples at this point of course they knew the sea they knew the boats they knew navigation and they fought they fought the fierceness of that circumstance with everything they knew to do they fought it with their skills they fought it with their they fought it with their resumes they fought it with their heritage they fought it with what they knew they used the arm of wisdom they used the arm of the flesh they used every tool they knew to combat this, this storm that wanted to destroy them not even realizing that in the boat with them was living word and while they used the arm of the flesh all it took was somebody 
to turn around in fear and overwhelm the motion and cry out, Jesus, uh, help us. Jesus, uh, don't let us perish. It's in that moment uh, that a man in his fear and a man realizing that on his own, he can't make it, uh, but he cries out to the master and the living word stands up uh, and the word, living word steps up uh, and the living word begins to speak uh, to the very, the very substance uh, of that storm. Uh, the living word speaks and here's what happens. Molecules of oxygen, molecules of hydrogen, molecules of nitrogen, they begin to settle because you see it's the same molecules in that water as was in that wind and things were all going crazy. But the master, the living word spoke to oxygen. He spoke, he spoke to those ingredients and the wind slowed down and the boiling of the molecules in that water, they begin to cease. And when the living word turned around, those men begin to marvel and say, what manner of man is this? May I pause and simply say, oh, he was a man, but he was God. He was God and he was man. He was the word made flesh. He was that living word that dwelt among them. And when they ask what manner of man is this, I simply say he's living word. He's a living word. He's a living word. He's a lively word. He's a word from heaven. Amen. Hallelujah. Ah. When you realize in this place today is an opportunity for a manifestation of that living word. Hallelujah. 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 Somebody's going to connect here in a minute. And when you connect... There's going to be something incredible happen in this house because you're going to realize that he was more than a man. He was more than just a miracle worker, but it was God robed in flesh, allowing you and I to see him. Amen. Amen. It, it, is, it is moments like, like we find in the city of David that day when... That young lady had been thrown away by those whom had used her. Thrown away by the very ones who had taken undue advantage of her circumstances. Thrown away by people with position and power and the ability to destroy because they threw her in the dirt and threw her away that day. And they stood there holding their rocks, ready to bring the ultimate destruction. But when they threw her in the dirt, she landed at the feet of the living word. You got to realize when they threw her away, she landed at the feet of the, of the one who was from the beginning, who had become the word and who had become flesh and was allowing the world to see the greatness and the glory and the wonder of what was going on through him. And so thrown away, landing at the feet of the living word. And while men mumbled and prepared the final destruction of that discarded piece 
of flesh. The living word leans over and puts his hands in the dirt right beside that discarded mess. When you realize that the living word didn't mind touching her and her circumstances. And he didn't mind putting his hands in the dirt. You see, when he began to write in that dirt, you've heard that that he drew a picture of a fish, you know, Christian fish. You've heard that he put some secret signal in the dirt. I don't begin to know what he wrote. But I do know this, that any time the living word puts his hand in dirt, something incredible happens. For it was that same living word that data reached that reached into the dirt and formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. And when he got done with Adam. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and Adam became a living soul. Don't you, don't, you you can make it as spiritual as you want, but I think the living word was just doing what the living word has always done because it puts his hands in the dirt and it leans over and begins to bring life. And when he began to get his hands in the dirt around that discarded piece of a person that day, I believe he had his hands in the dirt of that situation but there was breath and there was life that was coming out of him and going into her and that's what happens that's what happens when you get living word it is living word that reached down into the side of Adam that day and broke out and pulled out a rib bone and he took a living living uh, the living word that took a bone and began to form and fashion and make, a, make another human being it's those same hands of that same living God who smeared mud that day in the face of a blind man smeared mud and when it was over with he had new eyeballs I'm talking about what happens when the living word puts his hands in your dirt hallelujah (laughs) that excites me when the living word put his hands in your dirt when the living word put his hands on your life When living word puts his hands in your life, the accusations leave, the condemnations can't stay, the brokenness gets fixed. Hallelujah. When that living word begins to speak, uh, the accusations, uh, uh, the intentions of others, uh, the, the, the bad intentions of others, uh, it drops around his feet. Uh, they walk away, and then she has left uh, lying there, tears smeared, dirt smeared, mess smeared. Uh, but something has happened because the living word uh, has breathed into this situation, and he looks and says, uh, I don't condemn you. Put this behind you go and don't do ever do that again because now you've come in contact with this living word and there's a transformation that takes place and no matter what yesterday said you have been with the living word and he has breathed he has breathed into your life 
Hallelujah. I must hasten. But I think one of the most incredible word pictures of the living word happened at Gethsemane. I think and I see, I see the master, I see the living word having prayed while his disciples slept. I see, I see him, I see him in the days before having prepared his disciples for this incredibly scary and awesome thing that was happening. In John chapter 2, he told them this, verse 9. He said, Jesus told them, he said this, if you destroy this temple in three days, I'm going to raise it up. They couldn't understand what was going on. But there was a transfer of spirit and flesh. There was transfer of man in heaven right there. And they didn't understand what was going on. But chapter 10, verse 17 goes on to say it this way. Therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. He said, no man can take my life from me. But I lay the life down. I lay my life down by itself. I, I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. This commandment have I received of my father. And there's something going on. They're saying, he, he tells them, uh, they can't destroy me unless I let them destroy me. And I'm laying my life down because I can take it up. Uh, and it, it, uh, I'm, I'm living word. And I might be dead flesh in a day or two, but I'm still living word. And even though my flesh as a man might be dead, I am still that living word. And in my dead flesh, I am still that God incarnate. And I am still that living word. And as, as I observe, I observe this word picture that emerges in Gethsemane that night. Because these good men, these good disciples were struggling to understand who and what he really was. They, they, they understood the God thing. They understood the teacher thing. They were geared for some sort of a governmental Messiah takeover. They were, they were looking for a, a, a regime change. But they didn't realize the regime change that was taking was not of the flesh, but it was of the spirit. And so there... At Gethsemane that night, they had no idea heaven and hell had drawn battle lines. And the spirits of darkness uh, strove, to, strove to completely annihilate uh, that living word. And, that, and, the, and the lack of understanding on the part of those from hell, they could not realize that if you destroy the body of Jesus Christ, uh, he was going to rise again. And even if his body was destroyed, he says, if you destroy it, uh, I, I'll, not, you can't do it unless I let you. But even if I let you, I have the ability to take it back again and so the battle lines were drawn it was the battle lines of the flesh it was the battle lines of darkness and light and while that light shined on that dark night in Gethsemane there was this thing that unfolded that that I find of utmost intrigue in my spirit because Jesus had prayed at Gethsemane until the moment of betrayal had arrived those disciples, awakened by the master at the end of his prayer. You know, he says, you know, can't you pray with me one hour? 
You remember that discussion? Finally, when it's over with. They're awakened by the master's footsteps, but more so by the rattle of the host of soldiers that have come to arrest the master. And so, standing there, standing there with only lights and stars that he had created, by the way, to illuminate what was going on. Soldiers approached, a torch or two in their hands. Disciples stood behind their master, rubbing the sleep from their groggy faces, rubbing, trying to shake off the fatigue and sleep of the moment when they see Jesus approached by one of their own, Judas. And Judas approaches Jesus, and he places upon him that kiss of betrayal that would serve as that point of identification for those who came to destroy the living word. And when Peter is looking at this unfold, sleep in his heart, in his eyes, in his body, in his spirit, he didn't understand everything that was happening fully, but there were two things he understood. And at that very moment, he recognized that there was a betrayal taking place right now. He recognized that. And then he recognized more so that the tool of that betrayal, the tool of that betrayal was a man who had walked with those disciples. It was Judas. And Peter immediately recognized in that moment betrayal has taken place and we've been betrayed. The, the living word has been betrayed by one of his own and something rose up in the fleshly spirit. Had he been praying with the master, had he been at that time of prayer when he was supposed to have been, his flesh probably wouldn't have risen up quite like it did. But his flesh erupted. His flesh just responded in that moment and he grabbed that sword from his belt and he swung with that sword at the head of the closest person in the crowd that was there. He tried to cut off Malchus's head. He wanted to destroy. He wanted to kill. He called himself defending the master. But he, he, he swung at the head to try to cut the head of Malchus off. And Malchus in the natural flinching response as he pulls back. And he doesn't lose his head, but he loses his ear. And what was intended to be a death swing for his life became an a injury of separation, an injury of pain, an injury of blood mess. And cut off and severed from his face was a part of his life that he really needed. It was, shoom, was cut off. Malchus Look at this word picture. Malchus stands there holding, the Bible says it was a right ear, holding that place, not understanding yet quite what's happened. But he feels the pain and the burn and he looks at the ground, might I say. He looks in the dirt. Laying in the dirt is severed part that he really needs. I probably would imagine at this point he's noticing 
the burn and the pain in the side of his face. And so probably he, he looks and he's, yes, he sees the blood running. And I, I can even imagine, I can see as he holds tight, blood seeping through his fingers, down his face and dropping off his elbow. And he's looking down at a severed situation lying in This picture comes so alive to me because here is a fellow who was just doing what he was supposed to do, just obeying orders, doing what his boss said, and suddenly he finds himself in this extremely devastating circumstance, and he looks and he can't understand the actions of this crazy man, the actions of this crazy spirited man who's tried to destroy him, tried to cut off his head, tried to do this and he's been attacked now by crazy spirits and things are out of control and it's all crazy and he's looking in the dirt and there lies his circumstance and while that happens hand on his face and blood dripping down and his part lying in the dirt the living word he reaches down he reaches down into the dirt the living word that when he makes mud balls and smeared his own faces eyeballs grow the living word that holds the broken bone out of the side of a man and makes a whole woman out of that bone. The living word who at very first took dust and dirt and made Adam out of the dust and breathed life into it. Those same hands reached down into dirt and pick up the wounded, severed, mangled part in his hands that bring life. And the picture that I see is I see a man named Malchus, still speechless, looking, not able yet to respond, and the blood's running out the side of his head. And I see the living word's hand picking up that mangled ear. And I see, I see that living word's hand extend that ear towards Malchus' face. And in an instant, there is nobody in the whole universe but the living word and a man that's got this situation. And I see in my picture, I see that, I see that Malchus totally speechless still. And I see the hand of the living word extending that ear back towards where it goes. And there is that moment of the motion. There is that moment that that living word's hand and that mangled ear 
when it crosses the plane of eyesight, that the plane of sight, you know, that plane, you know, when, when the football covers the, crosses the goal line, and uh, you don't have to necessarily run all the way in the goal. I mean, when, you, when, when you're all the way tackle, you can be this, the wrong side of the goal line, but at some point, if that football crossed the plane, that, that invisible line, that, that, that plane, if it just crosses the plane, it's considered a touchdown. But when that hand of that living word and that mangled mess begins to come from the dirt and come across the plane, it's coming, it's coming across that plane, and there is that instance that there is Malchus, there is a messy, bloody thing in the hand of the living word, and there's the eyes of the living word, and there's nothing in between Malchus and the living word except that mess. And as I see that happening, Malchus is still speechless. Malchus doesn't know how to respond. But the living word, he's got that bloody mess. Somewhere, I don't even know if he shook the dirt off of it. It didn't matter. That ear came from the dirt. He just picked it up, and he put it, and that bloody mess went right in front of Malchus's face. But while Malchus was looking at it, so was that living word. You can't hide a thing from Jesus. And while that mess comes across, it stands between him and the living word. But the living word don't stop and shake it in his face and remind him of it. Don't do that. It just continues. And while Malchus is watching, I'm certain one eye followed the ear. But the other eye had to have been locked on. What was going on in the master's face. And while nothing was between him and the master, the living word took that mangled, bloody mess and placed it. I don't know what it looked like afterward. I don't know if the Lord left a little blood smeared there for reminder. I don't know if there were scars from where the living word actually did some Holy Ghost stitches and put it back on. I don't know if he left a little crooked or poked out a little further than it might have used to as a reminder. I don't know. There might have been no mark, but this one thing I know. There was a man with a mangled mess standing in the presence of the living word. And the mess, the mess didn't bother that living word. And the living word didn't mind getting its hands down in the dirt that had wrapped itself around Malchus's situation. Would you stand with me this morning? I have spoken.